Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV. Best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. Welcome, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830 on this February 19th. I am Rob Dreesline. Coming off a busy weekend at Pheasant Fest at the Minneapolis Convention Center. I literally <laughs> came directly to the studio after uh, loading up our booth after a very productive weekend at an, really an incredible event. Uh, as I mentioned, I believe last week, of course, Pheasants Forever is based here in uh, St. Paul slash White Bear Lake. Uh, it's a great homegrown operation. And uh, Pheasant Fest is, a, is, a, is an event that the uh, that the organization started, gosh, it's probably 20 years ago now. Uh, it uh, it travels about every third year. It comes back to the Twin Cities. Uh, next year, they already announced at the end of uh, the show that it will be, and it wasn't a big surprise. Uh, it will be in Sioux Falls. About every third year, it goes to Sioux Falls, and then the the odd year, the third year, it travels. Last year, it was down, I believe, in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, and I'm not sure where it'll be in two years, but uh, perhaps Chicago, perhaps Milwaukee, perhaps Dallas, someplace else. But then we'll uh, we'll probably get it back here in uh, Minneapolis, I presume, uh, three years from now, which would be what 2026. And 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 it's kind of fun that way because when, when you know a lot of these shows are annual, of course, and when it doesn't come back to your city every year, you kind of anticipate it, right? When it's on that three year ro- rotation, it's kind of something to look forward to when you don't have it every year. But uh, I believe they declared they had 33,000 people at the show. It was a great crowd. Uh, I, I tip my hat to Pheasants River. They had a number of stages with a lot of content on uh, conservation issues, uh, talking about a, a whole host of different topics around the country. Uh, Lan Tawney, uh, who I believe has joined me on this broadcast already, he's the uh, CEO of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers out of Missoula, Montana. He was on hand, as well as Katie McCaleb, his VP of Communications. They're very dear friends of mine. I've gotten grown very close to them over the years. Uh, Katie, in fact, is featured in this week's print edition of Outdoor News. Once a month, we do what we call a quick chat with someone in the outdoor industry. And the timing was really good that we managed to uh, interview Katie uh, just when she was in town for, uh, for Pheasant Fest. She was leading a discussion on uh, corner crossings, which is uh, an unfortunate issue out west. Not quite as big an issue here, the corner crossing topic. Uh, It involved some uh, hunters from Missouri who were out. I believe they were in Wyoming. They were trying to cross between two public land parcels at a corner. Well, the other two corners were owned by a private landowner. And uh, so what these hunters from Missouri did to avoid walking on that landowner's property. They built a ladder up and over a fence, so they never touched this landowner's property, but they went from one public parcel to another public parcel that way. Uh, the landowner thought that was still trespassing, and according to Lantani, went to the county attorney, contacted the county attorney like 17 times to uh, enforce a trespassing charge. The county attorney on a 17th call finally did that, and... The uh, the judge or the jury, I'm not exactly sure if it went to a jury trial, uh, threw it out, to, declared that the hunters were not guilty. They did not touch the landowner's property. Therefore, they were not trespassing. I think the landowner was like, well, they were in my airspace kind of thing. Uh, unfortunately, that was not the end of the story. It's my understanding that the landowner has since sued these hunters from 
Missouri to the tune of like $7 million or something like that because he's declared, well, that, that this has now decreased his property value because other hunters will do the same thing, I guess. Uh, and that is that case is pending uh, that as we speak. So uh, it's something that groups like backcountry hunters and anglers are watching very closely, right, because the ramifications for that case uh, could mean a lot for any landowner, I mean, any Minnesotan who goes out west and wants to elk hunt or mule deer hunt on some public properties uh, across the west. We've got a lot of public land in Minnesota. We don't seem to have this kind of corner-crossing problem that, that uh, they have in parcels out west, but uh, we will be watching that. That's something we've been reporting on in, in Outdoor News. But like I said, Katie McCaleb was leading a panel discussion on that. Uh, another very popular young man at Pheasant Fest was Kang Yang. Kang is a uh, is a, a, a Minnesotan of Southeast Asian descent. I believe he is a, a, a he, he, his uh, background is he's a he's Hmong, and uh, he's very active in the outdoors. He's kind of what you call an adult onset hunter, uh, and he's done a lot to mentor other new people to the outdoors. And Kang is everywhere these days. I'm not I'm not making that up. I interviewed him. We're going to have an interview with King at the bottom of the hour. He's on the front cover of the Minnesota hunting regulations. So if you have a copy of those, pull it out, take a look. That's King Yang on the cover. I see uh, that uh, Tony Kennedy at the Star Tribune did a story with King this week. In the uh, It was either in the Friday or uh, Sunday Star Tribune. Uh, I guess it was Friday's paper. Uh, and, and he's on all sorts of podcasts. He's uh, He's got his own website. We're going to talk to King a little bit later. He did a, a seminar at Pheasant Fest that was uh, fascinating. Bottom of the hour, he'll be joining us. Uh, in between, we're going to talk with a guy named Charles Turk Gerke. Charles is a fishing guide on the St. Croix. We're going to talk to him in about five minutes or so and discuss uh, an interesting thing cooking on the St. Croix. They're talking about making that walleye season there continuous. So we will uh, we'll discuss that a little bit more. Um, you know, probably the biggest thing at Pheasant Fest was this was the final hurrah for uh, Howard Vincent, the longtime, for 20-plus years, uh, executive director, CEO of Pheasants Forever, a gentleman who's done a fantastic job expanding that organization. Uh, and uh, so Marilyn Vetter is the new CEO, and I believe Tuesday is like her first official day. This was, they kind of like handed off the baton at Pheasant Fest. It's my understanding that that Howard will stay on as like a consultant through April or May or June, something like that. So we haven't seen the last of Howard. But there were a lot of folks uh, slapping Howard on the back, thanking him for all his hard work, thanking him for the amazing job he has done in expanding Pheasants Forever and, and of course, uh, also launching Quail Forever. Uh, that's a new organization uh, that's you know more based, of course, down south. That's where we have more quail populations, Bob, Bob White quail. Uh, one final thought, I was at the National Banquet last night, and I've been going to that when they've been holding Pheasant Fest for like 20 years, and it's been kind of fun watching that event evolve. Uh, back in the day, it seemed like it was a little more folksy, you might say. Uh, Ron Sherrod typically was the... Uh, was the MC? Now it's it's got a little more of a rock and roll revival atmosphere cooking with it, uh, and fifteen hundred people at that event last night. So it was a it was a good fundraiser for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, as well as a lot of fun. Let's break. We're going to check in with uh, Charles Turk Gerke. When we return, you're listening to WCCO Outdoors.
Welcome back, everybody. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I am Rob Driesline from Outdoor News coming off a big weekend, exhausting weekend, but productive weekend, working at Pheasant Fest at the Minneapolis Convention Center. It's definitely show season. Uh, We've got the Northwest Sports Show in three weeks. Hard to believe that's just three weeks away, as well as the Deer and Turkey Classic. In between, I'm heading to the Iowa Deer Classic. So there is uh, there's a lot of going a lot going on if you're into uh, consumer sports shows. Tis the season. Hey, let's uh, move on from hunting for a few minutes and talk about fishing, specifically an incredible walleye fishery on the St. Croix River. And joining me now is a gentleman I've known for many years. He's a fishing guide. CroisSippy.com is his website. His name is Charles Gerke. He goes by Turk. Turk, how you doing, my old friend? What's cooking? Rob, it's great to hear your voice. Um, What's cooking? Well, I know my back feels better right now than it's going to be after about four days of shoveling coming up. Right. Oh, man, I try not to think about that. That always complicates life, doesn't it? Uh, Sorry. Winter in Minnesota. Uh, Hey, before we talk about maybe some regulation changes on the Croix, how's the ice fishing season treated you? Uh, Tell tell us, uh, what are ice conditions like out there? Uh, I was talking to Bob St. Pierre from Pheasant Forever. He thought the crowd at Pheasant Fest might actually be up because of the poor ice conditions, people looking for something to do. What's your take? Well, the ice condition, it's, you know, you can't stop your vehicle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, the, the ice, it's actually good, hard ice, but it is so slick. Right. And, um, but, you know, where I fish a lot on the, on the St. Croix, when it goes up and down with the temperature and, it can get to be a challenge. It, the, the main thing is, you know, getting on and off on the ice is just, you know, that snowpack is gone. So, yeah, it, it, it can be a challenge. But, you know, um, it's, it's not as bad as you would think. That's kind of what I've been telling folks. I mean, I think, you know, we had in Hennepin County, we, we, they, they were telling folks to get off, get their, start getting their wheelhouses off. Uh, and that deadline is not too far away. I forget. Is it March 1 in the southern two-thirds of the state? And then I think the 15th in the northern third. I'd please double-check those those dates, everybody. But uh, those we are bearing down on the, the deadline to get your, your fish house off. And, uh, what, a week from today is the last day of walleye fishing in inland waters here in Minnesota, uh, which kind of brings us to another topic. Uh, so the St. Croix, you, you probably know the exact date, Turt. I'm sure you do. That walleye season closes when for uh, in the winter? Yeah, yeah March first, okay. and I should I should add that this is right before it closes. It's one of the best walleye bites for sure mm-hmm. because they they uh, it's the staging. You know they 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 come from that winter transition and then they stage before that pre spawn, and that's that's why the DNR years ago closed it. Right, you know, in right. their wisdom, because it's. Um, I'm not going to say shoot uh, shooting them in a barrel, but you know, because uh, it's still fishing. But it, it, it's def- they're definitely up to exploitation. But to answer your question, yeah, March first is when the St. Croix would close, and then um, it opens on the first Saturday closest to May one. So that's kind of a that means some years the earliest I've seen I want to say April twenty seventh. And then some years it's like May sixth. So so it's typically that's, earlier, that's at least right a sol- at least a solid week earlier than the the regular inland waters opener for the rest of Minnesota. I, I'm an old river rat myself, as as you know, Turk from down the Winona yep. area. And that's right. When I was a kid, he started walleye fishing as soon as the river opened up, or, or even sooner. And 
I got to yeah. admit, when I came to the Twin Cities, this whole, and not just the Twin Cities, but everywhere, this whole fishing opener. Everyone's got all worked up about fishing opener. And I was always kind of like, right. what are you talking about? I've been fishing walleyes for months. Um, right. Because the the walleye season on the river, at least the Mississippi River downstream from you, is continuous. Now, there's some chatter about that possibly happening on the St. Croix. Uh, Outdoor News had a story on that this week. Brian Mosey wrote about it. I haven't seen anybody else reporting this. When he, when Brian stumbled into this, I said, that's a story. That's a big deal if that's cooking. Uh, so let, right. let's, let's talk about that. This is not something that you necessarily think is a great idea for the St. Croix. It's a different different kind of body of water, different river than the Mississippi downstream, right? It is different. And, you know, um, my guide service, Croy Sippy, um, I fish both of the rivers. By far, though, I do many more trips in the summertime on the St. Croix because I live up near Hudson, Wisconsin. And so I really do know both of the rivers, and they are different fisheries. Um, and I have seen how the walleye season works because I've been able to fish the walleyes year-round. It's a very, very nice, uh, great way to educate yourself on fish behavior because you can see, you can actually tell when they go from their transition to the pre-spawn areas, and they move to these areas um, before they spawn, and then you can see the post-spawn, and then after the post-spawn, then you have that spring bite, which is about when... um, Traditionally, mid-May in Minnesota, the, uh, the the inland opens for walleye. Sure, um, but yeah, the, the the fisheries, yes, they're 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 different. And um, you know, I I would say because people nowadays are so into their uh, you know, their pursuits, you know, whatever it is, you know, card playing, bike riding, fishing. I mean, it's everybody's hardcore. They don't, you know, there's no real casual anything anymore. Right. So like you said, once the people get the chance to get on that water and catch walleyes uh, 20 minutes from the state capitol, um, people will do that. And it's, I don't think it's, well, I know it's not the same type of fishery, you know, anecdotally on an, uh, that can, that can handle it. I, well, I shouldn't think that, that can i just don't think it's a good idea you know um i do live in wisconsin but i was you know i grew up in minnesota my whole life and so you know i was taught um you know we don't harvest game fish during the spawn right uh, so uh not to exploit the resource and even as a kid i'm like okay that makes some sense <laughs> you know i was so, i was debating this topic a little bit with tim lesmeister you you probably know tim and, and tim generally is very pro liberalization of regulations and liberalization of equipment also and and we were going back and forth on this a little bit uh one point, you know, that, that you made in this piece is bumper boats. Anybody who has been down river in my old stomping grounds, Trumpelo, Winona, or up to Red Wing knows about the bumper boats phenomenon in late March or April when all these walleyes are stacked up below the dam. And a lot of folks from Iowa, from all over the place show up to fish that. And, and you know, Tim made the point, well, the walleyes down there, they, they survive. They're still vibrant. They're still healthy. Still got a good population despite all that. The point I made to him was one that you just kind of made, which is, yeah, those point that they're not quite as close to a population center as the St. Croix. Like you said, 20 minutes from St. Paul, there's a lot of people that could be on the St. Croix pounding those those spawning walleyes uh, pretty quickly. Now, there is some talk 
correct her, correct me if I'm wrong, of maybe protecting some of the spawning areas, even if the General River St. Croix is open. What do you make of that? Well, it's in an area that's really too far north that wouldn't really protect um, where a lot of these fish will be concentrated or and are concentrated. Um, you know, every year, you know, um, from time to time, you hear about a guy that goes out early and, and just pounds on them because they just put them back, right? Because technically, I guess it's legal. You know, I'm not saying to do that. But it's like, yeah, everybody knows where they are in early in the year because they just – and um, – you know, I would say um, what Tim said is he, he, he makes a point but um, about those fisheries do well. But I would say those fisheries are world class. And, you know, Pool 4, all of the big walleye tournaments go to Pool 4, and they fish the Mississippi. It, they don't come it, to the St. Croix. It's bigger water, too. I mean, it, it's a bigger chunk of water, bigger, wider, deeper than what we're talking about with the St. Croix, right? Yes. Um well, you know, the St. Croix is salt of Stillwater. It gets, it yeah. widens and it gets deep, but most of it, it so it, because it's so deep, uh, there's not a lot of shallow bays. And it's a, it's a kind of a fun river from the aspect, it's, but it's a structure fisherman's dream. Most all the fishing happens to be near narrows or the shoreline breaks on the river edges. You know, one thing I wanted to mention is, okay, so, what if we just, for instance, what if we just opened White Bear year, White Bear Lake all year round for walleye fishing? Why don't we make that continuous? Well, because there is a time that they're very susceptible, and you will catch them before they spawn. And someone would say, "What? Well, ridiculous! You know why? Mm-hmm. Why would we open White Bear Lake? Why well, would say I would because they would say, well, they can." It's continuous on Lake Pepin. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, so, Turk, we should we should point out there are a lot of other states that don't have a closed season. That, I mean, that's that's yeah. something a lot of Minnesotans might might find shocking. Um, in fact, maybe most states don't. Uh, and and that's something Lesmeister always throws in my face. I always point out to them, yeah, they don't sell anywhere near as many fishing licenses that that we do. They don't have near the population or the number of anglers that we have in Minnesota. So I I tend to take a more conservative approach to this. Uh, Turk, I'm about out of time, but two quick points. One uh, the, one point that you made, the average angler is a lot more technically savvy than they were 20 years ago, and that that's that's a factor that I think folks could, should consider in this debate. Oh, my gosh. It's not even funny. I mean, <laughs> but, but it's, I mean it, it's just, it's, it's you know, um, <laughs> when, I, when I first started guiding, um, I was, I was, um, you know, I would be leery of wearing a, a Cabela um, <laughs> rain suit because everybody down at the river would be like, oh, look at this hot shot. Now everybody's <laughs> got a $700 pair of Sims rain gear. You know, everybody's got a ranger. And they, all, and they all have they all have the forward-facing sonar. That's, that's what I think it's is really incredible out different. there. Yeah. It's just different. And yeah. so, you know, but I will say this. I... Thank you, DNR, because they are going. They they want to put forward a four limit instead of a six. Yeah. And they want to go from fifteen minimum to fifteen to twenty with one over twenty. And right now they don't have that. Thanks for bringing and that I'm, up. I forgot to mention that yeah. they would. We are talking about lowering the walleye limit. That presumably would offset some of us. Turk, I'm out of time. But if this happens, it could it could be in place as soon as like next March of 2024. So uh, this is something we're going to be reporting on a lot. I'm sure we'll talk more about it, uh, Turk. If folks want to reach you, it's croissippi.com. That's right. 
Well, Turk, thanks. I know it's a big topic. We just kind of scratched the surface, but I think we, we got to the meat and potatoes of it. Thanks so much for uh, spending some time with me, and, and good luck the rest of this ice season. Stay safe out there. My pleasure, sir. All right. That's our friend Turk Gerke. Check out his website, croissippy.com. He's a uh, fishing guide over on the river. Let's uh, break. We are going to uh, chat with my friend Kang Vang when we return. This is outdoor- This is WCCO Outdoors. Welcome back to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830 on this February 19th. I am Rob Dreesline. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we are here until the top of the hour, then stay tuned for 60 minutes. And then at 7 p.m., uh, Susie Jones filling in for Jerry Lynn Steele on Steel Talking. So some good content coming at you the rest of the way. As promised, we are going to check in with a young man who spoke at Pheasant Fest this weekend. His name is King Yang. And here's my interview with him right now. Hey, I want to jump in now with a guy who's never been on the broadcast with me before, but he's everywhere these days for good reason. He's out there working hard and uh, and representing young hunters very well. His name is Kang Yang, uh, and he uh, he's on a couple boards. He's on the Minnesota Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Board as well as the uh, Minnesota Conservation Federation Board. Uh, and that's an older organization that's really kind of bouncing back with some some young leadership like Kang. King, it's good to see you. Thanks for uh, jumping into the broadcast with me. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. Well, like I said, you've been uh, everywhere these days. I saw you at the roundtable. <laughs> and uh, this weekend, I thought uh, would be a good time to chat with you because uh, all weekend at Pheasant Fest, you have been presenting uh, a seminar on one of the stages. I think it's on the, is it the Public Lands Pavilion stage? Tell us a little bit about the, the topic and uh, what it's all about. Yeah, so I was on the uh, Public Land Pavilion stage um, just talking about uh, my journey into the Upland community. It was a great event, you know, loved it. Uh, I think it went well. My first time public speaking <laughs> like that, so I enjoyed it a lot. Good. Yeah, and, I mean, people, this is theater of the mind. This is radio. So people are saying, well, okay, well, what's the big deal? Uh, someone getting into the outdoors. You're coming at it from a little different perspective than a lot of folks who might be listening. You're a, you're a second-generation immigrant here in the States. Tell us about your, your background and how you kind of got into hunting. Yeah, so um, I got into hunting because of my dog, Kaya, and she is a German wire hair pointer. She's six now, been hunting for six years. That's how I kind of remember how long we've been hunting together. But, you know, my dad and them, they, my dad and mom, they came here from Laos during the, um, after the war, the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was born in California and never hunted at all, really. Loved animals, very compassionate about animals, especially birds. And, you know, I didn't pick it up again, like I said, till I got my dog. That's why I'm here and where I'm at today is because of her, really. Well, I got to ask you, King, so did you get the dog thinking, well, maybe someday I'll hunt over it? Or did you just kind of stumble into that breed? You said you liked the way it looked. And then one day you said, you know, this is a hunting dog. I really should get out and, and hunt with it. How, how did that play out? Yeah. So <laughs> my dad actually bought her to uh, breed. And so I was like, well, you already have two male dogs and you were going to buy a, another dog to breed her and then just sell her. And he's like, yeah, because I just want a pup from the litter, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know, me being compassionate about animals and stuff like that, I'm like, well, don't do that. You know, I'll take her. So, I mean, we got her as a puppy three months old, and I took her in, and I got home that night, and I was like, to give her the most enrichment, I this we're going to have to start hunting. And from that day, we, you know, just started doing a lot of research. Um, my dad's kind of a difficult teacher. Like, he doesn't know how to really teach. <laughs> so he's kind of okay. like, you come along and you learn, or, you know, you'll you'll fail. But, you know. 
Um, everything else really like going to the gun range was by myself. You know, he told me how to, he told me what kind of gun to get Benelli ethos, Benelli, just stick with Benelli, a good gun. Good Italian stuff, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, but you know, um, prior to going to the field, it was all just more like myself learning. Um, okay. so looking online and forums and social media. Right. Uh-huh, so, uh-huh. but yeah, that's, that's, that's how it all started is cause that chance opportunity. So you're somewhat self-taught, it sounds like. And and by the way, I should point out, folks might recognize King because you're on the cover of the 2022-2023 Minnesota hunting regulations. Uh, everybody's probably got a copy of that in their glove compartment or uh, in a drawer on their desk, I've, like I do. You pull that out, I'm telling you, you're going to see King right there. How did that come yep. together? <laughs> yeah, no, so um, I was, I'm was i on the uh, R3 committee with the DNR and James Burnham, who leads that committee from the DNR, he reached, he was like, Hey, do you want to be on the cover? And I was like, heck yeah, you know, <laughs> sign me up, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I'm the first Hmong descent person to be on that cover. Okay. Yeah. And with, you know, the Hmong community being such a big hunting community in Minnesota, um, it's taken what, how long now to get one of us on the covers? I think yeah. it's amazing, you know? Very, yeah, um, no, absolutely just sh- appropriate. Just, yeah. yeah. It just mm-hmm. shows how forward thinking the DNR is and, yeah. What is your favorite kind of hunting, King? I mean, obviously you were at Pheasant Fest, which is a very upland-focused event and, and organization. It, but I, I also know from uh, having some exchanges with you on social media that you're a, you're a waterfall guy too, right? Yep. Big waterfall, big upland, uh, pheasant specifically. Um, that's it. So pheasant, waterfall, and turkey, those three things. So. Okay. Okay. Anything with my dog during the fall and then turkey to kill time. <laughs> so. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. so so turkey hunting in the spring. Is that when you're out chasing turkeys? Yes, correct. Okay. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Earlier in our conversation, Kang, you mentioned something about being really compassionate about animals, being compassionate yeah. about birds. And there might be some folks out there listening uh, who aren't hunters who think, how can a guy be compassionate about these things and yet go out and shoot them? Uh, can I explain that reasoning for folks uh, out there who might be listening yeah you know like ever since i was little um my escape was always the outdoors especially just my backyard and my dad didn't really let us give me the opportunities to do any extracurricular activities like that outside of school so it was always just stay home study and be outside right in the backyard Mm -hmm. and you know from very early on you know just seeing animals wildlife really um around the house you know like if there's an injured bird wanting to take care of that bird, you know what I mean? A mother duck had a nest under a bush and she got eaten by a raccoon. I mean, I took those eggs in and hatched them <laughs> under okay. a limb. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, and raised them all summer through till they flew, you know, till, the, till they left. They kept coming back shorter periods of time and eventually just never came back. But, you know, like that kind of compassion where any kind of animal, I've always wanted the best for them, you know, and wanted to see that them thrive. Yeah. Wow. So just uh, an all all around interest in in the outdoors. Totally. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. I'm Rob Jerisa, and we are chatting with King Yang. Uh, King is uh, is a young man who's really gotten active as a, what you might call an adult onset hunter here in Minnesota. He presented some seminars this weekend at Pheasant Fest at the Minneapolis Convention Center. Uh, called My Journey to the Upland Community, uh, kind of sharing how he's become such an avid outdoorsman. King, you're also real active on some boards. Tell us about that. You're active on the um, Minnesota Conservation Federation Board and the BHA Board. Tell us why yeah. that's a priority and what, what you do as a, as a member of those boards. Those are a priority because early on I was you know mentoring and learning how to hunt. 
Um, and then, you know, these past two years, I really wanted to get more involved with like the Minnesota community, making, you know, looking at policies and looking at habitat work, kind of like that, right? And looking mm-hmm. at conservation. And so, you know, these organizations, they kind of, their message kind of related to me. And I, you know, that's, that's how, why, why I joined them is to be kind of basically put my uh, skills and effort out there with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, your personal interest. We need more young people like you doing that, King. And, and I, yeah. I absolutely appreciate what you're doing, man. Thank you. Yeah, no, I love it. It's it's great. You meet so many people and, you know, you learn so much about just our state, right, and what's going on and how can we make more access to public land. King, are you doing things to try to recruit other folks like yourself of any race, creed, or color into the uh, into the hunting fraternity? Yeah, I mean, everything I do today um, is all all about recruitment and mentoring, mentorship, right? So any opportunity that I get to mentor, I mean, I'm taking it up. Or if anybody asks me if they, that they need help, um, if, if, and if I can help them, um, I'm always there and willing to help them, you know? So I like I wear the title mentor at, with the badge of honor. And so <clears throat> that would being that said, like, you know, if they need a spot to go, I'm going to give them a spot to go that is going to give them success, right? I'm not going to give them like mm-hmm. my secret spot, but you know, sure. <laughs> there's general public land where they can go uh-huh. and try, mm-hmm. you know, and just helping them really. Like if I was to teach my brother or my sister to hunt, or if I was to teach, you know, my child, hunt, I don't have the kids, but I'm just saying, you know, like mm-hmm. I would give, I would uh, basically teach them just how I would teach them. So. King, are there any types of hunting that you haven't participated in before that you're thinking about uh, tackling, getting into uh, maybe later in 2023 or beyond? Yeah, a lot of my friends now um, have invited me out grouse hunting, especially in the woods, the north woods. And so sure. everyone's, I mean, all my friends have been inviting me. So I, I really think I should take up some of those offers here soon before, you know, it's too late. Yeah, well, rough grouse hunting is absolutely a great time, and they're one of the best eating birds uh, that you're going to find in the woods. And the other thing is, if you wanted to live in a state with good grouse hunting in the lower 48, this is pretty much it. I mean, there's a lot of folks out east where there's a, a lot of great traditions around grouse hunting, and there's no birds anymore. It's mm-hmm. just horrible. So yeah. uh, there's a lot of folks that come here from out East that rough grouse hunting. They're like, we, they can't believe how good it is in Minnesota. So yep. I absolutely would encourage you to, to take advantage of it, King. Yeah. And, uh, you, you mentioned that you're real interested in mentoring and helping others. Yeah. If folks want to reach out to you and, you know, hit you up to become a mentor, how can they do that? Yeah. So if, you know, you need help wanting to become a hunter, right? Want to learn hunting? Uh, you can reach out to me at my blog, minnesota-hunter.com. Uh, just send me a, a contact email and uh, I always reach, I always read every email. So <laughs> I'll reach right back out. Minnesota-hunter.com. Huh? Yep. Good. I know you're real active in BHA. Anytime there's an event going on, you're there. So that's uh, the big, great place for folks to meet you face to face also. So thanks for everything you're doing. Yeah. Thank you, Rob, for having me too. You know, like, this is great. My pleasure. Yeah. I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to watching you continue to develop as a, as an outdoor leader in Minnesota, Kang, and we'll, we'll stay in touch. Thanks for calling into the broadcast. Thank you, Rob. Kang Yang. Check out his blog at minnesota-hunter.com. Let's break more of the broadcast after these messages. Final segment of WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830 for this February 19th. 
Thank you for joining the broadcast. A few minutes left, maybe even time for a call or a text. Check in with us at 651-461-9226. Hey, I wanted to point out one last thing about my interview with King Yang. Uh, King is a regular contributor to regular contributor to Modern Carnivore. Good little website, modcarn.com. My friend Mark Norquist operates that, and I think Mark has been a bit of a mentor to Kang, who we pointed out is now mentoring a lot of other folks. Uh, At Pheasant Fest this weekend, my booth was right next to uh, Mark's booth, and so I got to spend some time with him, enjoyed that. But uh, So check out uh, some of Kang's contributions to that website, modcarn.com, if you want. A few minutes left before we uh, wrap up this week's broadcast. I wanted to talk a little bit about a topic that uh, my editor at Outdoor News, Minnesota Outdoor News, Tim Spielman, wrote about this week. I might chime in with my own thoughts on it in this week's uh, edition of Outdoor News when I write. If you're monitoring Outdoor News, if you're monitoring the outdoors, period, it's Star Tribune, whatever it might be, you know that chronic wasting disease has been a big topic for years. We haven't been able to pass much in terms of legislation uh, to regulate deer farms or cramp down down more on how you know even how hunters uh, manage uh, you know deer carcasses and that sort of thing to try to get a better handle on controlling CWD. And there's some really big time legislation now this session. Jamie Becker Finn is, I believe, the main author on it, uh, as well as uh, Rick Hansen uh, from South St. Paul, both DFLers. And with the DFL in charge, I think we're going to see some pretty serious regulation of deer farms and, and CWD management in general that could come to pass. Tim Spielman pointed out in his column, is it time to consider just buying out the game farms, the deer farms in Minnesota? Uh, and there's a lot of chatter about that. There's a lot of opposition to that. Some folks that say, uh, you know, we shouldn't be rewarding the deer farming business by buying them out. I would make the point that, you know, deer farming is not illegal. Uh, at no point did we make that illegal. If we're deciding that this is something we don't want anymore to try to help contain the spread of CWD, maybe we should consider doing that. WCCO Outdoors has learned there's a $17 billion surplus. If not now, when? Uh, the lobbyist who represents the deer farmers in Minnesota pointing out at, at a hearing, Spielman quoting him, that uh, you know this, this legislation right now is death by a thousand cuts for the deer farming industry. And again, I'm not necessarily a fan of deer farming. I, I don't necessarily believe we that's something we should be doing, that we should be farming in a wild wildlife uh, in, you know, in an area where it's native. I just think that's generally a bad idea. But again, it's not illegal. And if we're going to, you know, regulate these folks out of existence for decades, uh, would it be better right now to say, what's it going to cost to just buy out the deer farms in this state? How much money would you save over 10 years in regulations, right? You've got to have agencies. You've got to have people regulating these deer farms. Uh, would it make more sense to just buy them out right now? And, and maybe in 10 years, it's a wash financially. And then you get the deer farms off the landscape, and we cannot, you know, we can, we can stop talking about that facet of CWD management. Spielman bringing it up in his column. It's something I talked to some people kind of off the record around at Pheasant Fest. It wasn't just, you know, there were DNR people there who weren't just interested in upland birds. But it was a topic that we talked about there. And, and I don't know. I sense that there's, there's some interest among some DNR staff and among some legislators to do that. 
There's other folks who say we just we don't want to spend the money to do that. Uh, it's definitely, I think, going to be a topic that's going to erupt uh, in our letters to the editor, uh, as well as you know some of the chatter. Maybe maybe we'll even get some calls on it here on uh, WCCO Outdoors going forward. But uh, game farms, deer farms, that is uh, a hot topic of the uh, the 2023 legislative session, which is underway. Like I said, I spent the whole weekend at Pheasant Fest. We had a great time. Uh, one interesting note I forgot to mention is that uh, Pheasant Forever had its Call of the Uplands campaign, which I guess started in 2017. It seems like it was more recently than that, but time flies, especially when you've got a pandemic in between. Howard Vincent, the outgoing CEO, telling everybody at the big banquet last night that he didn't, that he kind of had a bet with the staff whether or not they'd achieve this $500 million goal over five years. And when they got it, he agreed he would get a tattoo. So Howard pulls off his jacket last night at his speech in front of 1,500 people, pulls up his shirt sleeve, and has got a big old pheasant tattoo on his lower forearm. Uh, Obviously, big cheers from the crowd. Congratulations to Pheasants Forever on everything they achieved with that campaign and everything they pulled off at Pheasant Fest. I'm out of time. Stick around now for 60 minutes here at the top of the hour. And then Susie Jones is going to be filling in for Jerry Lynn Steele and Steele talking uh, at 7 p.m. Thank you for to all my guests. Thank you to the listeners. Thank you to Jonathan Lowe doing a great job producing as usual. I hope everybody has a great week out of doors. I'm going to be recovering from Pheasant Fest and looking forward to uh, to a great final few days of winter. Rob Dreesign signing off for CCO Outdoors.